fun. Great to be together this morning. Um, we are uh, going to take a pause in our Roman series to address something relevant to Mother's Day. We, we take advantage of Mother's Day and Father's Day and some of these other holidays to focus on um, these important topics. So, um, so if you have your book open to Romans, actually you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be there. Uh, and my name is Paul Buckley. Um, if you're new here, we're glad you're here. We pray God's blessing on you as you're with us. Please let us know how we can help you wherever you are in your journey. Um, and if you get to know people here, you'll find that we've been through journeys ourselves and we probably can identify with you wherever you are. We want to be helpful. We really want to be an instrument of God's love um, and truth for you. And we want you to feel comfortable and safe in that. So, so uh, please just let us know. Um, we, we provide lots of context to help you in your journey so we can tell you more about that. Important to us, of course, is being before the Word of God and hearing the Word each Sunday. We come to worship Him in, in multiple ways, and part of worship is, is, is hearing His Word and responding to His Word. Uh, it's really kind of, um, the whole system actually sometimes I think um, is a little bit, um, I don't know, suspect in my view because He uses us to do all this stuff. Um, so I, I recognize my need uh, in bringing God's Word uh, and uh, our need to hear him. It's amazing. God is infinitely glorious, yet he wants to work in our lives and use us to do great things. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. And, and worshiping him and these different means and hearing the word is an important part of that. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll start the message today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power and activity in our midst. You are real, and you are active. And you've given us your living word, which is an eternal word, which is always true and uh, most glorious and the highest good. And we thank you. And we ask you, Lord, help us to hear your word. Help me to proclaim your word faithfully and in a way that's helpful, that builds up and brings glory to your name. We look to you in this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll be looking in, in a moment uh, at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. That's going to be projected, but I encourage you to Look in your Bible first. We're taking time on this Sunday to address what the Bible says about manhood and womanhood. Um, so this is addressed to moms, but women, but also to men. Um, and so tangentially, it's touching on motherhood. It's such a blessing, such an important part of how God uses women. Um, and there's lots of messages I could bring on Mother's Day, but I, I thought this was an important one, given our time. Um, this is an important topic. In Genesis 1, and God's, all of God's word is so helpful, so important for us as we navigate these important topics. Uh, we live in a world where there's much confusion on the, these topics of manhood and womanhood. What is a man? What is a woman? And is there something else as well? Are there other options here? How should we think about this? And why? Uh, is it true? Is it good? Is it glorious? These are the things that are being addressed in our culture. Pastor Alexander Stark uh, said this about over 20 years ago, one of the most significant changes in human history has occurred during the past 40 years. It is the gender revolution. In the words of the historian William Manchester, the erasure of distinctions between the sexes is not only the most striking issue of our time, it may be the most profound the race has ever confronted. I don't think that's an overstatement. There is a great need today, as there has always been, to understand who we are, who we are as men or women. And the choices out there are not very helpful. There's, 
as we seek to navigate the high road of biblical manhood and womanhood, we have on one side the mire of male chauvinism, and on the other the morass of modern feminism, all the while the monster of gender confusion seeks to devour all those who wander off the path. And this is an ever-present reality for us, yet God's word leads us in truth. And I would submit to you ahead of time, this is the challenge of our day, this is the challenge for each of us, to understand that God's word is first authoritative. It has the right to speak to us about who we are. Secondly, it's true. When it speaks to us about who we are, it's not making things up. It's speaking truth. Thirdly, it is good. We may not see it right away. We might struggle to understand how could this be good. But it is good because God himself is good. And so when he designs something and says something, he has good intentions. He wants people to flourish. He wants society to flourish. He wants families to flourish. It's good. And thirdly, fourthly actually, it's glorious. It's beautiful, it's attractive, it's admirable, it's worthy. Now you may not agree with that, with what I'm going to say as we go into the Word right away, but I would encourage you to understand that's what the Word is, that's what the Word proclaims, that's what we proclaim, and that's where you find the answer. It has to be that this is God's Word, this is true, it's good, it's glorious. Only then will you have the, the leverage, the power, the understanding to counter the strong force of our culture and all that it says about gender. Having said that, let's look at God's Word. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following, and then Genesis chapter 2, sections pulling out of these passages. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then to Genesis chapter 2, elaborating on what God had done in chapter, two, in chapter 1, we see this in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're going to look at these passages and the truths that we learn. Um, and there are two main points I want to hit on. One is God's design. What has God done? What is his design in creating us as male or female? And then second, we need to talk about God's rescue. 
Because we'll look at the design and we'll recognize the design and its truth and goodness and its glory, but we have to face the reality that we struggle to live in it. So let, we'll talk about God's rescue of us. So let's begin looking at God's design. First, what we find here in the passage is that we are made in the image of God. We're not the product of material and physical chance, but intentionally and purposely made by the one who has existed for eternity that we might image him. The one who made all things from nothing made us to image him. It's not just by chance that we're here. We're not mere biology in motion. We are the image of God on earth. We're to reflect what God is like. We're to make known God in creation. And we're to do this as male and female. It's, it's, there's a binary aspect of mankind, male or female. And this is inherent in making us in his image. It's said right in the same context. We're made in his image, male and female. So we're made in his image, we're made in his image in a binary way. And we're made in his image with a mission right away. Before there's anything else that happens in the story, before we get on to chapter 3 and the fall of mankind into sin and, and alienation from God, there's a mission. There's a mission given right away. And by the way, that mission follows all through the Bible. It's fulfilled ultimately in the new creation. The mission of those made in his image, it says in verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So the man and the woman together, imaging God, mankind as male or female together, is to fill the earth with the image of God. To rule over all of creation. God, God makes these contexts, the, the air, the sea, the land. He fills them with creatures and wonder and glory. And then the, the, the ultimate creation is mankind as male and female. To rule over all those spheres. To extend the image of God throughout creation. To magnify God together. In chapter 2, we, we see that story. Adam is put in this garden to work it and to keep it. And, and we miss... Uh, that this isn't like a garden of daffodils and tomatoes. There might have been daffodils and tomatoes there, but, but that's not what the word means. It, it means a royal garden, a, a temple garden. It's a place where kings dwelt, kings and queens dwelt. And so the idea of Adam tending the garden was that Adam was to tend a place where God could dwell with man, where kings and queens could walk and image and show forth the Lord. And ultimately, he was to extend that garden, right? Because he was supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? A garden of the Lord, that, the, that this kingly place of, of reigning over things and imaging God was to fill the whole earth. Again, we see that fulfilled in the new creation. But that mission is given right away. And so we're to represent God, we're to image him, we're to rule over all things, we're to make his character known as male and female in relationship with God. These three ingredients are vital and essential to God's mission. And if you remove any one of them, the mission fails. Male, female, God together, right? If you take ingredients out of something you're making, that thing no longer is what it is, right? If you're making uh, pancakes. Did, did anyone do breakfast in bed this morning? That's something we used to do on Mother's Day. Anyone? Okay. It, maybe it's not a thing anymore. Did anyone have pancakes this morning? Oh, oh great. We got one. Has anyone ever eaten pancakes before? <laughs> All right. Um, and if you're making pancakes, right, your main ingredients, uh, eggs, flour, milk, you need some salt, sugar, butter, and baking powder is important too, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to get fluffy. 
Um, but those main ingredients, eggs, flour, and milk, are essential. And if you take one of those out, you don't have really pancakes. You've got some weird version of a pancake, right? If you, uh, if you leave out the eggs, you end up with something like a saltine, actually. Um, you leave out the flour, you have something like an omelet. Leave out the milk, you kind of have a dry quiche. But if you're going to make pancakes, you need these three ingredients. Similarly, if we're going to make what God wants us to make, we need the ingredients of male or, and female together, a complementary relationship, and the Lord to carry out the mission. That's really important again. It's very fundamental in understanding what's going on that we understand that the mission is made this way. The image of God is made this way. It's inherent in the image of God, by the way. Each of us, yes, individually bears the image of God. That's seen in Scripture everywhere. And that's why uh, murder is prohibited, because we bear the image of God. So each of us, as male or female, we bear the image. But together, the mission is to bear that image and make that image known and fill the earth with it. Now, so there's... The mission, together, important in understanding this, we're made in God's image with God's mission, and we're equal. This is really important to get. And it's important to understand because culturally, in most cultures in history, this was not understood or applied, and or applied. And even in Christian culture, at times it's not been applied properly. But it's very clear. It's right here in Genesis chapter 1. And it's throughout the Bible. This equality of the sexes is very clear. Where do I see it in Genesis chapter 1? Well, he makes us in his own image. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. That's the, the inclusive word man. And by the way, uh, sometimes we get tripped up on these things in Scripture because in the original languages, it was always understood as inclusive. We don't have that in English. We, we don't say mankind or man, and we mean men and women, but the Bible means that. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So our greatest value and worth as humans is that we are made in the image of God. And that's of really of immeasurable value beyond what we could comprehend. That's how we should treat one another as those who bear the image of God. And there's no difference whether you're male or female in bearing that image. So there's complete equality in Genesis 1, 27. And then, of course, we see it throughout Scripture, right? We see how, how Jesus treats women. It's radical how he treats women for the day. They're fully included. They're funding the mission. He's relating to them openly in ways that, at times, like with a Samaritan woman, it's like, what are you doing? He crossed the boundaries. His regard for women was radical for the day. He received their support. He ministered to them as equal daughters of Abraham. And then we see... Paul in Galatians 3 speaks of the reality of our, of our equality before God. For he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's not saying there's no distinction. But he's saying you're all one. You're all equal. So any notion of superiority is... is of the sexes is inappropriate, grossly inappropriate, an insult to the image of God. Very clear in Scripture. And we need to hear this today, don't we? Our history is more in terms of how men have treated women as less than equal, less than human even at times. That's been the history, and there's much wrong done, and it still goes on, by the way. It's, we're not done with that history, but culturally, overall, that used to be the major problem. I think the pendulum is swinging the other way, as men nowadays are seen much more unfavorably, 
There are words used, as there have been at times, for different sexes that are inappropriate. Men as pigs. I've heard that. Men seen as Homer Simpson-like oafs. And then this phrase, toxic masculinity, which is helpful when it's true, but unhelpful when it's used for masculinity that maybe just merely be traditional or different than your cultural preference. These are not words we should use for other human beings inappropriately or even at all. If we understand Genesis 1 correctly in the image of God, we should highly value all humans, be very respectful to all humans, male or female. They are precious in God's sight. They are made in the image of God. They're made to cooperate together. We need each other, men and women, to fully image God and our mission here. Now, of course, we also learn that we're different. It's obvious we're different. It's here in the scripture. There's a difference. Adam is made first. And then Eve is made from the man. We learn that. We see that. And the description of the woman is that she is a helper Fit for him is what it says in the ESV, or suitable is the word. A helper that's suitable or appropriate or complementary for the man. The woman is made as a helper. That's the, the first description after the image of God. First, she's the image of God. Next, she's the helper. And we may look at that. Women may look at that and be like, yeah, I don't know about that one. If I can't be like, have every role the man has, then it's inherently unequal. And that's part of the problem of our understanding of our culture is that we don't get that, that, that you can be equal but not equivalent. Equal in worth, equal in value, but you're not equivalent in gifts and call. And it's actually quite ridiculous because we're all different. There's no one here who's the same. There's no one here who has the same background. There's no one here who has the same privilege as someone else. There's no one here that's equal in that sense, but we are equal in worth. And we must change how we look at that and realize that everything I have is given me that I might love God and love others with that, with these differences. And so this label, this description as helper is an important one. It's an important one for women to understand that this is a, a fundamental aspect of what God's design in womanhood is to be in a helper fit for, fit for the man. And it's not a degrading word because there's someone else in Scripture, actually, that the most important character, the most worthy and character, the most noble character in all of Scripture is who? God. And how is God described? Again and again, as the helper. As the helper. And one who helps is one who has resources that the other needs. It's not an inferiority, superiority issue at all. You have resources given from God to share with the other to help and God has designed women to be helpers suitable for men. This is what Scripture teaches us. God has given gifts to women. And He creates us as equals. It's interesting in that story in chapter 2 that, that the rib is taken out of Adam to make the woman. And, and in their relationship as man and woman, as husband and wife, there's a, a one flesh that comes from that. There's a working together. There's a, a complementing of gifts and roles in that. Now, Adam in, indeed is the leader here. There's a difference here. He's the one who names the animals. He's the one who na names his wife, and that shows his leadership and his call to a authority. That's very clear in Scripture. 
But being the head in, in, in the particular role as husband and wife here doesn't mean being unequal or superior. It's the difference in God's design, and they are to come together as equals, complementing each other, following in the particular roles God calls them to, to image God in that way. We'll get into some of the more practicals as we go along here. Matthew Henry says about this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. I would submit that all of Scripture is lined up with these truths, and it is true and good and glorious. One more description from Genesis 1, actually from Genesis 3, that I want to highlight, I think it's important. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, the terrible fall that happens to mankind, the ruin of sin has been introduced. Uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 20, it says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. The woman is literally named life. That's what Eve means, life. She is the mother of all the living. This is insightful, not just for Eve, but I think for womanhood and understanding God's design. And of course, it speaks of bringing life and bearing children, but bringing life really in every aspect of life together. I would submit that one of the fundamental aspects of the giftedness that God gives women is to nurture life. To come alongside men who are responsible to, to provide and protect and to provide some uh, initiative in things. But it's women coming along with their giftedness as helpers, bringing life to that endeavor. Nurturing life. Promoting life. This is the design of God as men and women work together. And it works in marriage, but it works in every other context as well. You, if you survey and look at the tendencies of men and women, as you look at Scripture, of course, you'll see this. This giftedness for nurturing life. Not that it doesn't exist among men. But there's a particular strength that God has given women in this that's to complement men and their particular strengths. Now, there's lots that I could talk about and maybe you're thinking through, well, what about this context? What about that context? I'd love to talk to you afterwards um, about that. Glad to answer those questions. I don't have time to, to cover everything here. Um, but it's good to think through these truths and how we apply them. So, First, let me just say, uh, what are the things, as we try to think practically here, what are the important points and applications? First, what are the things that women are not, according to Scripture? They are not second-class humans. They are not unequal with men. They are not non-essential or non-central to God's plan. They are not lesser than men, nor are they independent from men, nor men from women. They are not a separate type of human, but a complementary aspect of God's creation as mankind, as male and female. They are images of God himself designed to work together with men to fully image God. They are to work under godly male leadership, appropriately positioned. To help with essential aspects to accomplish God's mission of ruling over creation and representing God. They are to extend his reign in presence. Men are to provide leadership in that in masculine ways. Women are to come alongside and provide leadership in appropriate feminine ways and to complement men in their giftedness. There's a masculine aspect and a feminine aspect that we all are to bring to bear in all that we do. We need to recognize this. 
And we need to recognize that this is for our good and for God's glory. And it's to, to promote flourishing and what's good and glorious and admirable. And there's lots of applications. I'll just jump to one. Very practical. It talks about how this impl- uh, impacts marriage. You can look at Ephesians 5. I won't go there now. And Ephesians 5 is all about the impact of the, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, in this particular context, imaging Christ in the church, understanding God's design and living in it by grace. Before you get to chapter 5, there's three, four chapters on the grace of the Lord in Christ that we have and how that grace empowers us. We'll get to this under God's rescue. This grace empowers us to to lay our lives down for others because Christ has laid down his life for us. And by the way, that's a fundamental aspect of all this. None of us necessarily want to use our gifts to serve others. But when we recognize God has called us to love and give, not take, it changes us. So in in Ephesians chapter 5, the purpose of marriage there is to image Christ in the church as husband and wife. And to do it according to God's design, not just any way you choose as a particular design. The man is to be the leader. He is to be the head in, in marriage. It's very clear there. It means the authoritative head. I don't think there's any way to get around that word despite what some say. It's very clear. But that's a head like Jesus, not like the world. It's not a male chauvinist head, sit on the couch sort of head and tell people what to do head. It's a a head that is like Jesus that lays his life down for the church. A husband is to lead by giving his very life to provide and protect and direct his family. And certainly that's in cooperation with his gifted wife, who is to support him who is to submit. And submit is not a word like you you become a doormat and you just do whatever he says. Submit means to support, to come under his efforts and support and buoy him up. Make him and the family successful. And the point in Ephesians 5 in doing all this together is in this sort of love, it demonstrates the amazing love of God shown in Christ and his relationship with the church. It is about God's glory on display. Marriages are, are, are to be an amazing display of the reality of Christ and his church and this love and this interrelationship that will go on forever. But this sort of cooperation isn't limited to just marriage or the offices of the church. It's fundamental to being human. Your maleness or femaleness is God's design for you and fundamental to what it is to be human. And to deny your femininity or masculinity is to deny God's good design. Now there's all sorts of qualifiers I could give and there's all sorts of tendencies and trends we could talk about. So I'm not talking traditional understanding. I'm talking about biblical understanding. But what I'm making clear and inescapable is that this design is God's design It's authoritative, it's true, it's good, it's glorious. And it's to work its way out in all that we do. We're to express our masculinity, loving leadership, providing initiative, provision and protection, using power and ability to bless and empower others to be successful in leadership. That's what biblical leadership is about. It's not about drawing all attention to me so I can be the conduit of everything, every decision and everything that gets done. It's the other way around. I use my role and my gifts, and we all are to do this as men and all as people, to empower others, to serve the body, to build up the body, that the body together, each one in their particular role and, and call and context as men or women are empowered to do their job 
the body might be built up, that God might be glorified, that lives might be transformed. And we do that as men or women, men leading in these ways, women coming alongside, using their giftedness, using their femininity, using their ability to nurture life, serving in appropriate leadership roles as women to also empower male leadership and empower the whole church to serve others, to nurture and create this life that the Lord wants to accomplish. Whether you're married or not, this is God's call. This is the design of God. We are made in the image of God. We're made for the mission. We are equal, and yet we are different in a complementary way. It's good, it's true, it's glorious. And we all fall short. That's the reality, right? We have to be honest. We struggle with this. We struggle even to hear it. And there's probably all sorts of struggles going on right now. There's probably a mix of things. Like, wow, this is encouraging. I like this idea. Help me, O oh Lord. Oh, what a miserable failure I am when I look at my own life. This is the reality. And the Bible doesn't pull punches on teaching us about the reality of our fallenness and our need for rescue. It's interesting, right away, it's, it's, it's comical even. Right away, after the fall, the husband and the wife start basically arguing and blaming each other, more or less. Particularly the husband blames the wife. So chapter 3, it says, Have you eaten of the tree? So they were given a command to trust the Lord and not eat of the tree of, of the fruit of knowledge uh, and to trust the Lord in this. But they got tempted, they ate of it. So God says, verse 11, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it, this, this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then he goes on to say, um, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. This is the curse of sin. And it's really interesting to see at the heart of this curse is this battle between the sexes. The woman you gave to be with me. She did it. He blames the serpent and has been quipped. He didn't have a leg to stand on. Um, so they're blaming each other. They're blaming each other for this. And, and, and here we have at the beginning the battle of the sexes. It's really interesting actually uh, where he says to the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Um, the, the idea there is that uh, there'll be a battle for who's in control. That's what's going on there. Um, and then uh, the woman will want to be contrary, will want to rule over the husband because he's going to be a failure and struggling with sin. And the husband will want to dominate the wife. Sad. We have the battle of the sexes from the curse. And, and this has implications. It's all around us. The, the curse of sin has affected us. And, and, and we feel this. And I think for men, if, if we understand the call of men to lay their lives down, it can be overwhelming. 
And, and, and men's particular gifts, too, just to share my own life. I don't multitask very well. Um, and, and what can happen in my life, I'm trying to provide leadership, provide input for my wife, but just give me one thing to do at a time. And if there are multiple things, I can get frustrated. And I'm like, just forget the whole thing. Just forget it. And I just want to abdicate and go, go, go back to my man cave or something and do what I can do in front of me. Anyone else ever struggle like that, guys? So men in their, in their weakness and then in our sinfulness at times can react in ways where we abdicate. Or what else will happen is in our weakness and our sin, men will respond in being abusive. So we'll either withdraw, I can't do this. This woman you put with me, she's too much, I want to pull back. Or this woman you put with me, she's too much, I want to control her. It's sad. And we all struggle with this to some degree or another. And some of us struggle to very severe degrees. Please, don't do it on your own. Get help. We need help. There's answers. There's redemption. But this is the reality of, of our struggles. And women on their end of it can feel like I'm, I'm made to be in this vulnerable place. Trusting the man and his strength and his ability to protect me and provide for me. And yet, here is this guy who's imperfect. And so there can be fear. And you can come under and live under that fear too. Instead of trusting God and doing what's right, which means supporting the man, it also means responding to the man appropriately. At times like saying, no, I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that here. That's not God's word. There's an appropriate place for that. Not living in fear, but being that appropriate compliment. Or to think, uh, this man isn't as good at this thing as he could be, so I'm going to take over in a way that doesn't allow him and doesn't help, allow him to lead and doesn't encourage his growth. Those are the particular temptations that we face among many. This is the result of the curse of sin. And this is the reality. And it works itself out in many ways. What we're seeing going on in our own lives, in our culture, is the effect of sin and treating the other sex in an inappropriate way, the other gender, whether it's in marriage or elsewhere. Not understanding God's design. This is a precious being made in the image of God infinitely valuable in that sense to be respected who's given the mission who's given complimentary gifts and and so we ought to embrace that and respect the the other sex and yet we have abuse going on we have mistreatment we have disregard disrespect and horrible things like pornography the scourge of the internet a destroyer of women's and men's lives taking a human being made in the image of God and treating them as an object, not as a person. I told my sons, my encouragement to stay away from it growing up, guys, it's akin to murder because you are removing the image of God from that human being when you treat her or him as an object for pleasure merely. All those people portrayed are people made in the image of God, precious to him, Souls and bodies married together to image God, to be loved appropriately, to serve others appropriately. It's a scourge. And if you're caught up in it, don't try to do it alone. Get help. We want to help you. We want to walk together and abhorring this, but also getting the, the help we need, the power we need to change and to love people and respect them as we ought to. Another aspect of the brokenness we see around us is gender confusion. 
when we don't value the opposite sex, and we don't value our own sex, our own gender as God's design, when we don't understand how precious this is in God's sight, made in the image of God, when we don't understand that there's a mission, it, there's a beauty here as we come alongside each other in complementary ways to accomplish this mission, when we don't appreciate those good differences, we start to get confused about gender. What's a man? What's a woman? Can you be something in between? And we're currently caught in a crisis of confusion on this. And there might be temptations and preferences that go here and there, but the design of God is clear. And the love of God is clear. And the rescue of God is there for us as we struggle. You cannot alter the reality of how God made you. Sorry, I'm not saying this to be controversial. I'm saying this to be truthful and helpful. No matter how many things you might do to your body, you will always be either male or female. Apart from the very, very, very small amount of the population that has a genetic defect, for all of us, it's very clear. It's down to the very DNA in every cell in your body that you are either male or female. And that, if that alone is not persuasive enough, I hope the more importantly, what we're saying today is persuasive. God is good. And there's the design He has in your life with your weaknesses, with your temptations and preferences as well to, to meet you, to help you, to help image Himself through you, to use you in relationship, healthy community with others, to image God together. He has something much better in mind in His design. And thank God the rest of the story here is about Jesus and his redemption. God didn't leave us alone, caught up in this confusion and in this struggle. He's not leaving you alone. He's for you. I can say that confidently because he's given his very son for you. Christ has come as the only human being who lived without sin, who was the perfect human being, who loved others, who used his gifts to serve others and honor his Father, who laid down his life for others in the ultimate way. Going to the cross, dying in our place, suffering in our place, dying for our own sins, paying the just penalty for sin. God is a good God and he's just, therefore. And there's a penalty for sin. It's spiritual death. It's eternal separation from God. Both because of the sin of Adam and Eve and our own sin, we all live in the reality of that penalty. We are born separated from God and we continue to live in it. And, and certainly you can go to different places, different degrees of how you live in that separation. But the reality is mankind is born in this place of lostness. We live in it. This brokenness is true of all of us. There's not one, but there is one who always obeyed, always loved, that precious and worthy life that's worth, worth worship and worth everything, all the promises, all the inheritance that God intended for mankind, Jesus earned in his righteousness and faithfulness and then laid all that down in his death on the cross for you. So that through simple faith in him, just turning away from yourself, your own self-efforts, turning away from what he calls sin, the things that are wrong, through simple faith, turning away and trusting in Jesus, all your sins, 
all the penalty is paid in his death, and all the righteousness of Christ, through faith in him, simple faith, is now credited to you. So now through faith, you can be treated as if you lived the perfect life, as if you earned the inheritance that God has for humanity. That's the sure promise we're learning as we go through Romans about this. He, he works now all things for our good, and he will finish the work, and there'll be an eternal new creation where all things are made perfect. This is all in Jesus. And that's where the rescue here functions. All these things we're called to do, we can only do if we grab a hold of Jesus as he holds on to us. And we live in the reality of his forgiveness and his life. He's laid down his life for us. And we died with him, we learned in our baptism last night. When we put our faith in him, there's a dying to ourselves and there's a new life we have in him. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the rescue. This is the power. Romans 6, 3-4, it says, Do you know, not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were we're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And in that new life, following Jesus and laying our lives down, not making our preferences first, recognizing that God gets to tell me who I am and how to live, and that God gives me the power to truly love, we can begin to obey the design of God. And there's power and forgiveness all along the way. You're going to fail. Maybe today as a result of hearing this, you're going to think, I want to try to grow in one way. And I want to tell you, you'll fail doing that. But you'll also succeed as you trust in Jesus. And when you fail, what do you do? I'm a failure. I can't do it. I give up. Good. There is one who's not the failure, who's for you. And because of his blood shed for you, you're totally forgiven. You're free. You're still treated as a son or daughter. He's with you. His power is in you to help you get back up and try again. And we as a community are to live in this reality, in this grace together, coming alongside each other, encouraging each other. Being there to remind each other of Christ crucified and risen and alive in this good design. We have a design to fulfill the mission still holds today. And as we come together as men and women in our appropriate roles in God's design, complementing each other, and whatever we do, by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us what job you can or can't have apart from particular roles. There's all sorts of things we can do in, in our giftedness. But we are in all these things to be the men and women that God has designed to image Him, to glorify Him cooperate together. To do this in the church and the particular roles and all the variable roles that we have. So many options. There, there are plenty of options. Plenty of latitude. There are particular roles reserved for men. We understand from scripture that of the elder and the pastor. But the others, co-laborers in the gospel, brothers and sisters together, deacon, deaconesses, all these things are open in the church and all of life. So as I conclude and as we get ready to transition, let me ask you, how can you respond to the clear and glorious promise of God's design as a woman? How can you honor and empower 
men by complimenting them with your gifts. Men, I know it's not Father's Day, but how can you honor the women in your life? How can you create a clear pathway and invitation for them to bring their gifts to bear and, and nurture and produce life under your care and leadership? How can you invite their help? How can you celebrate their role? How can we, each of us, honor God's design and the opposite sex? Maybe you've fallen short. and Maybe you just need to tell the Lord you're sorry or someone else you're sorry and ask Him for help. Maybe He has a next step for you. But let's take a moment before we transition into communion just to pray and bring that to the Lord. And I trust He'll guide us in this wonderful design He has and this wonderful rescue He's provided for us in Jesus. Let's pray.